Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you uh, in person. It's been actually nearly a year since I've been in this building on a Sunday morning. And uh, I can't tell you how thankful I am to, to see you in person and to be with you online. I know that world very well. Over the last year, my family has enjoyed uh, watching uh, and being a part of the West Meadows congregation at home. And uh, we've so enjoyed and appreciate all the work of uh, the staff and volunteers who have enabled us to still be part of this community that we call our home church. What it usually looks like for us is uh, I'm usually dressed differently. I wanted to wear what I normally wear to church today, but my wife said that then we would never be able to come back. So I think she's washing what I usually wear because I haven't taken it off since Christmas, uh, the sweatpants. But... Um, uh, I think she was eager to get me out of the house so she could wash those pants. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to wear clothes to church. That's nice. Um, we have five kids, as Pastor Andrew said, and uh, two of our kids now are in youth, and they enjoy going to the youth events that Pastor Andrew puts on uh, with his team, and even tonight they're involved in that. Um, our daughter Bethany, who's in the middle, uh, she loves to take what Athena has prepared for the children, and she, uh, she does the work. She's become a Sunday school teacher, and so our two younger kids uh, get to spend this time normally with uh, uh, their sister Bethany as she teaches them uh, uh, from the Word uh, uh, during this hour. And so, yeah, I just so appreciate uh, the staff, the volunteers. Uh, of course, my wife and I uh, sit on the couch and enjoy coffee and, and appreciate the, the teaching and the worship. Uh, and the opportunity to continue to be a part of this community in some way. And so we thank you for that. We do look forward, though, to the time when we can be all together again. I'm on staff with a ministry of Power to Change, the student ministry of Power to Change, as Pastor Andrew mentioned. Uh, and Mark has asked me to share with you a little bit about what ministering to university students looks like in a changing world. Uh, what is staying the same? What is changing? We live in a world that is changing. It seems almost foolish to say that out loud. <laughs> and yet, uh, it is so obvious. Uh, I read once that good leadership involves stating the obvious. The obvious is that we live in a changing world. And it was changing perhaps faster than ever before prior to covid and then you add that on top. And all of a sudden, this change is just creating uh, a sense of chaos in our world. What once was is no longer. How do we move forward? And so as I share a little bit about uh, what I'm seeing from my perspective, I hope that it might be encouraging to you. Uh, and as we get into that, let me just pray this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are the Alpha and Omega, that you're the beginning and the end, and even as we stand here in this place, you are with us. And Lord Jesus, as I've prepared to share a little bit about what you're teaching me, I pray that you would take it and multiply it, much like the loaves and the fish in the lives of the people gathered here and those gathered around their computer screens in Edmonton and even across the country. Lord, that these few words we share this morning would be used by your spirit to mold and shape us and form us 
more into your image that we might serve as your body in this world. And so Holy Spirit, would you use me in these moments? Amen. Well, if you've heard me uh, speak at any time in the last few years, this has been a regular topic that I've enjoyed speaking about. Enjoyed, maybe too strong a word. I've felt the need, I felt compelled to speak about that the world is changing. As someone who works and lives in, in, in the university arena where I'm working with uh, uh, young people, I can see that the world is changing and I bring some of that to you today. We live in a new world and every day it changes and does so at an increasingly rapid rate which requires us to navigate new cultural terrain and adapt to challenges as we seek to help people, help people know and experience Jesus. So what's changing? I think first, uh, the values in our culture are changing rapidly. And there's many I could speak of, but one of the big ones, one of the, one of the root ones is a, a value of information is changing and shifting. It's moving from information to a value of experience. Information devoid of experience is dead. You can see it in a, in, in a car commercial. If you take a car commercial from, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, it was basically a picture of a car and a list of its features. And they were giving you the information of what that car did for you. Uh, my daughter, Abby, every time a car commercial comes on, she's like, oh, I'm so inspired. <laughs> it's so inspiring. She doesn't care about the car. It's the music and the, and the, and the invitation to adventure and safety uh, and adventure and safety all together. And, and this is the experience the car is selling you. Who cares what it's actually, what the information is about the car? Nobody, nobody really wants to know that in the ad. They want to be inspired. They want the experience. You know, it was only 10 years ago that this little device was invented. And today, this device actually holds more data processing in it, more processing power in it, than NASA had when it put men on the moon. <laughs> you have more computer power in your pocket than all of NASA had in the 60s. 90% of data in the world, IBM said, has been created in the last two years. The other 10% took the rest of recorded human history to accumulate. Every minute, 50,000 new photos will be uploaded on Instagram, and my daughter's trying to make that even bigger. Uh, Four million people will watch a YouTube video this minute, six of whom are my family members watching right now. Information is everywhere. We are inundated with information. Is it any wonder that we are distracted culture born of an information age, an age that I believe is dying of gluttony? And so we yearn for experience. How does this change my life? How can I actually feel and touch and experience this information? Then it might be useful to me. So it's not that experience is devoid of information, but our culture hungers for experience. We have lost our appetite for information devoid of experience. Isn't it beautiful that we serve a God who is the word become flesh? The very information of God embodied in relational experience. The resurrected Christ who is alive and active in our lives. He's not a 
simply a, a code of conduct, a creed, or an ideal. He is the living God, full of grace and truth. This has an impact for us, even now as I share information with you. <laughs> this, is, this is standard in how we experience church. You sit and I share information. And yet more and more people are asking for experience. How do we begin to adapt to a changing world? The questions are changing. The questions that people are asking are changing. They're not asking evidential questions of Christianity. They're asking questions of identity, and often they're not even asking those questions of Christians any longer. During the 70s and 80s, textual criticism on the universities was a big thing. And the big question was, is Jesus really God? Can you show that Jesus is God? And books like More Than a Carpenter and Evidence That Demands a Verdict were, were very popular and very helpful and very useful in a world that was asking for evidence. Now the questions are evidence. You can convince somebody that all those things are true. Jesus is God, so what? So what? So what? What does it mean for me? What does that change about my experience? Who am I? Who cares about me? Our world, and particularly, I think, our young people are in an identity crisis. Am I really just stardust, a cosmic accident? Who am I? Race and ethnicity gender, sexuality? How do we as human beings interact and, 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 and deal with technology? What does it mean to be human? These are the questions of the day. Isn't Jesus beautiful? Both God and man. The first fully human human. The firstborn among all creation. The resurrected Christ is a wounded human who invites us to enter into our identity as children and friends of the living God. The trust gap is growing. The trust gap is growing. This is another massive change. When I started in missions work, I could wander into a campus cafeteria and sit down with just about any 18-year-old and Say, can I, you know, I'm a Christian. I wonder if you know anything about Jesus and if we could dialogue a little bit about that. Would you be interested in that? And most people would look at me like, you're probably a nice guy. Their, their starting point would be, you're a nice guy. So yeah, sit down. Let's share a coffee. I'll listen to you. I trust you enough not to be totally crazy. You're probably nice, but I think you're maybe a little bit weird. <laughs> and that was how I was generally seen and approached and received in the campus environment. Now it's very different. I mean, it's different partly because of COVID, but, but even because of COVID, it's, it's more, if I identify myself as a Christian, whether I'm on staff with Power to Change and a full-time missionary, or whether I'm an 18-year-old Christian student in the university environment, if I identify myself as a Christian, people will see me as dangerous. I'm the reason that the world is so messed up. The narrative has changed and the trust gap has grown. And Christians and those who don't believe, who don't know, are farther apart. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as we seek to love those around us well? 
when they are skeptical, when they think we're dangerous. Well, on one side, isn't Jesus beautiful? As C.S. Lewis put, when Lucy talks to Mr. Beaver, she says, I shall, feel, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, as she talks about Aslan, C.S. Lewis's Christ figure in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about Aslan being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus isn't safe, but he is good and he loves you perfectly. Now, that's not quite the same dangerous as people see in us, but are we willing to live in that place of, of dangerous love? How do we navigate a changing culture and continue to witness in this generation? And now, things are changing even more. With COVID, the setting is changing from physical to digital, or as I like, I like how the staff here at West Meadows call it, fidgetal. It's, uh, uh, there is some fidgetal going on, but definitely, you know, there are very few university students on university campuses across this country. Students are going to the U of A from everywhere across this country and even around the world. You know, it was a few years ago in Power to Change that we changed our name from a campus ministry to a student ministry. It was as if the Lord was preparing us for this time. Because if you were to minister on campus right now, you'd be by yourself. <laughs> so we're not a campus ministry. We are a student ministry. We minister to people who happen to be students. There was a story I heard uh, just this year of a, um, a first-year student, I believe, at the University of Western. And uh, she, she uh, signed up and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I kind of want to check out this Christianity thing. And, and so some of our staff drove over to where she was uh, living. Uh, and she happened to be in London, which is where um, Western is. And uh, they dropped off some coffee for her and had a socially distanced conversation on her porch. And they began to explore the faith together uh, online. Um, she would come to faith and she would come to our conference, which was completely digital. We do these uh, conferences on a regular basis. And we've moved from camps uh, in the wilderness to the wilderness of Zoom. And, uh, and students from across the country come and they hear speakers and Bible teaching and and she came and she was encouraged and, and she wanted to be used of God in the lives of her friends. So she took a step of faith and she invited one of her friends, also in London, who was going to the University of Manitoba to an Alpha, online Alpha program. And her friend now has also come to faith. And we see this story playing itself out over and over again. These friends who are going to separate universities but live in the same town are relearning what it looks like to be a community because they don't necessarily identify with their university so much as the people they're living beside. And it's just all different, and we're having to navigate and change and adapt in a different world. Isn't Jesus beautiful? He didn't establish a place, a temple, where we had to go to. But he made a way that the Holy Spirit would make our own selves his living temple. That wherever we go, Whoever we talk to, we can be present with him. We, in that conversation, told her there isn't one place for true worship. 
There's no one place to do ministry. There's no one place. But rather, wherever the people of God find themselves, they can be in communion with him in spirit and in truth. So we're in an unprecedented time of change. Who has a map? <laughs> Who has a map for this terrain? Not me. Not me. You know, my family likes to hike in the mountains. Well, when I say that, I mean we like to walk on well-tended paths that are flat within view of the mountains. And um, we've tried to climb up those, those trails that go into the mountains. And um, we find that 15 minutes from the closest Starbucks, we start feeling very uncomfortable. You know, uh, fear of heights, uh, some of our family members uh, struggle with. Um, allergies to mosquitoes, a general lack of appropriate equipment, um, make the experience a lot less enjoyable than we thought it would be. Very few of us are able to look at a mountain with no trails and work up the courage to climb it, let alone a whole mountain range. But that is what we're doing right now. That is what it feels like to try and do student ministry right now. It's looking at the vastness of the Rocky Mountains and thinking there are no trails, there are no maps, there is no guide. How do we get through? How do we walk in? And I think I've been learning over this last little bit three postures that are helping me find courage to step into the wilderness, the unmapped terrain. So what are they? Perhaps they might be helpful to you as you navigate your own wildernesses, your own unmapped terrain. Well, the first posture is learning to look for Jesus first. Jesus first. He invites us to follow him which by nature means he goes first. None of us have ever known the future. <laughs> and now we're finally realizing it in some ways. None of us have ever known the future. None of us have ever known what tomorrow holds. And in this last year, we were made brutally aware of how true that is. All we can do is follow God day by day. The good shepherd, the one who leads us, the one who calls us on, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega knows the beginning from the end. The one who calls the stars by name, but is also so intimately aware of us that he knows the hairs on your head. He hasn't just said to go and make disciples of all nations, and I'll see you on the other side. No, he said, I am with you wherever you go. To the very end of the age, I am with you. Follow me. I go first. He goes before us. He goes with us. He goes behind us. I love the story in Luke 24, the story of the two disciples walking the road away from hope. Their dreams shattered, crushed on the cross as they watched their Messiah die, the one who they pinned all their hopes for, a, a return to glory, a restoration of the kingdom of Israel. He was to be the one, and he had died. And so they're going home, giving up, going back, trying to make something of what life was like in the past. When Jesus comes walking up beside them <laughs> and says, what's up, guys? 
What's up? He gives them a chance to express their grief, to verbalize their frustration, to wonder, at what, to wonder with him what it was all for. And then he gently restores them to hope. The road to Emmaus, this is the story. He gently restores them to hope. In times of change and despair, when it seems hope is lost and we don't know where to go, Jesus invites us to come to him first. And he doesn't always wait for our response. Often he gently walks along beside us. He gives us opportunity to express our sorrow and grief. And this is one of the big things that I'm learning in student ministry right now is creating space for lament, for sorrow. The number of students who have had to choose their second or third or fourth plan in life because it just isn't going to work. The jobs aren't there. The school they wanted to go to with the best program is too far away or it isn't available to them anymore. And over and over and over again, there's this wrestling with crushed dreams, lost hopes. And there's such a profound and healing space that Jesus invites us into and says, hey, what's up? Share with me. Come to me first. Share your grief, your sorrow. And there's something in that process of giving our sorrows to Jesus mingled with our surrender that is a profound place of worship. And so we've been giving a lot more space to lament in these days. To sit and think. To take the time to consider how is Jesus working in me? How is he inviting me gently back into hope? How is he inviting me to follow him into the deep uncharted territories of my own soul? He wants to bring healing, transformation, freedom, and indeed hope. How is he at work in your friends? He is there. He has gone before you. How is he at work in the world, in a world that seems to have no maps? How is he at work? Well, all of a sudden, when I wake up in the morning, and I know that Jesus has gone first, and my day is filled with looking for him, it becomes an adventure. It becomes becomes some grand jigsaw puzzle, rather than this pressure to figure everything out. Rather, it's this, Jesus, I want to see you. I want to, I want to smell you. I want to feel your hand on my shoulder. I want to hear your voice, the whisper. Walk with me. Help me to see you. Where are you at work in the people I will meet today? Where are you at work in the world around me? Jesus first. This posture, if that's the only thing you hear me say, this is the way through the wilderness, I think. Jesus first. But there's two others I'm learning that I think are helpful. The second posture is remembering that people, people are the mission. People are the mission. The mission God has given his people, his church, is not a plaque on the wall. It's not a bunch of words in a well-crafted sentence. All those things, those things are helpful. It's not a task to be accomplished. It's not a program to execute or an organization to build. It is a people to be loved. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says this when Paul was describing his own mission 
that God had given. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I love that phrase, desiringly affectionate. I just, I just, I'd like to soak in that word, desirously affectionate. Lord, make me more desirously affectionate for the people around me. To see the people, not the task, is key when everything's changing. Because if you focus in on the mission as being the task, we just have to get it done, then people become barriers. Change becomes an obstacle. Brokenness, grief, sorrow, there's no time for those things. We got to move on. We got to get it done. But to share our life with people in a desirously affectionate way, that is what Jesus leads us to. We must see people, see them as he sees them. Not as objects or projects, but rather image bearers of the creator shattered by sin. Their brokenness is not a barrier to our mission, but rather the pathway to transformation. Jesus longs to make all things new. And so with the same love, we share our life with others. How do you do that? (laughs) Well, in this world, you have to get a little bit creative about how to be desirously affectionate of others. And that's really the third posture. It's learning that this mission of people, of loving people, comes before strategy, comes before tactics, comes before programs. If the programs aren't meeting people, then they need to change. If we need new strategies to love people, then we need new strategies. The hardest things for a successful organization, whether it's a mission organization like Power to Change, whether it's a local church like West Meadows, whether it's your workplace, even the organization that is your family, if you have been successful, one of the hardest things to lay down are the tools and the patterns that made you successful. It's so hard. It's so hard to let go of the things that God is here. But when we're faced with the reality that what God is here isn't going to get us to the next place, we have to remember that loving people comes before loving strategy. Luke 5, this little verse, when Jesus invited the disciples to follow him, it simply says, almost like a throwaway, they left everything behind. And I've been meditating on that little phrase for a while now. (laughs) They left everything. Lord, am I in a posture that when I see you, when I see you first working, when you invite me to follow, to love the people around me, when I see them as first and my task list as second, am I willing to let everything I hold dear go in order to move with you? Everything behind I'm not saying we have to leave everything behind, but it's a posture of being willing to if we see Jesus moving in a new way. It's a recognition that what got us here isn't going to get us to the next thing, 
The way forward isn't by doing all the things we did yesterday harder or more. There will need to be new ways to love people and share our lives with them. And the quicker we are willing to let go and embrace the adventure of what lays ahead, the quicker we can pick up those new things. I wonder what the next great idea is. Certainly in the student ministry, we have loved participating in Alpha, and I know uh, the church has an Alpha um, program going on too, and it's been great. It's been fantastic. It's been a great idea that has met a changing world so well in the last decade. And so even now in the student ministry, we're running Alpha programs uh, online, not on campus, um, but with students all across the country with, with great fruitfulness. And it's been fun to see how Alpha has adapted to going from something that was designed for face-to-face community to something that would work in an online environment. They're adapting. But I imagine a time when we might be looking for something new that helps us do this in a new way. And I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be quick to let go of Alpha, but there will be a new thing. There will be a new thing. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I'm not advocating either a silver bullet. But there will need to be lots of iterations of new things and how to connect with people, how to love people in a world that's changing so rapidly. One example, um, normally in January on campuses across the country, we run week-long lecture events where we invite the campus to engage in spiritual discussion and, and see how Jesus is relevant to the issues that we're facing in the world. And so it's called Relevant Series. You can look it up, Relevant Series, I think it's .com, Google Relevant Series. Um, and you'll find this year, rather than doing it physically on campuses, we moved it online entirely. And wow, <laughs> instead of having um, hundreds of students at each campus come, we had uh, students from all over the world come. 19 different countries, students came to participate in this relevant series week-long live event that happened online. And then because it happened online, it was easy to film and store, and now it's still online and people are still watching it. And so if you want to go look at it, you can. But these, is it a silver bullet? I don't know if it fixes all of our problems. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it's a thing, a new thing that's being tried to bring the good news of Jesus to people in a loving way to show that he is at work in the world around us, that he's relevant. And it's, it's different. It's different than we've done it before. And it probably needs to get more different <laughs> in time. These are just three postures. And so I want to just, in conclusion, share with you what I've already shared. The world is changing. But the mission of God has given us, the mission God has given us and his people, has, it remains. He's asked us to be light and salt, to make disciples, to be a part of making earth look a little bit more like heaven. We can do that as we wake up each morning and ask the question, where are you working today, Jesus? What are you doing in me? What are you doing in the lives of those around me? How can I join you? Give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that will follow you. Look for Jesus first. 
We can do that as we seek to love others as ourselves. When we see others not as projects to fix, but rather image bearers of the Creator, rather than uh, clients of our programs, they're people that we can love, to value them and treat them even as we would want to be treated, to share our life with them in a desirously affectionate way. It looks different right now. Perhaps it's giving a friend a call with no agenda, writing a handwritten note to someone who lives alone, dropping off a little gift to a neighbor who is hurting, inviting them to join you at an alpha, online alpha program. We can do that. We can navigate the wilderness as we put ourselves in a posture of letting go the comfortable patterns of the past, the tools we know well that might not be working so well anymore and learn to embrace the unknown, to learn new things and try and try again knowing Jesus goes with us, meets us on the road and gently leads us Back to hope. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We're just sheep. Forgive us for how often we want to be in the lead. Remind us of your comforting presence, how your rod and staff, they lead us, and how you make space for us to, to express to you our concerns, our our grief, our sorrow. To be ministered to you as we're restored, as we're gently led back to a place of hope. Help us to love others as you love them. Help us to see them as you see them and have compassion upon them as you have compassion on them. Help us to be like the disciples in this way, that we would be quick to leave everything behind in order to follow, in order to embrace the adventure of what you might have next as we continue to seek to fulfill the mission you've given us. so we thank you, Jesus, that in all these things you go with us, before us and behind us.